You're listening to the sermon audio from Redemption Church. Redemption Church exists to exalt Christ, edify the saints, and evangelize the world for the glory of God. For more information on Redemption Church, just go to redemption.church. If you're a four or five-year-old, the pedagogues are at the door waiting for you. You guys are learned from God's word as well. Have some fun together. So you're welcome to go with them. And for those of us that are not four or five, we're going to stay here. And, and we're going to hear from God's word as well and, and grow in wisdom. So Justin is, he sends his love. He is not with voice. He's actually without a voice. He's recovering from some problems with his throat. And he contacted me yesterday asking me to fill up the pulpit. And I gladly took the opportunity with a humble heart, knowing that this is an important task. So just pray for me. Keep me in your prayers as uh, we open the word together. Since he's going through Ephesians in a series, he requested me to do a book in the Old Testament. Uh, it's going to be a standalone. So it's not a series. It's just one sermon. And he's going to continue Ephesians next week for us. Okay. So for today, I ask you to open your Bibles in Joshua chapter 2. Joshua chapter, chapter 2. I don't know if you know, my name is Josue, and that's Joshua in English. I did not choose this book because of my name. <laughs> I promise you that. I chose because it's God's word and the, and the important message for us. All God's word is profitable for our teaching and exhortation. So Joshua 2, we will study this narrative of Rahab and the spies in Joshua 2, and we will read the whole chapter. So it's story time for us. And our focus today will be in Rahab's words, more specifically to the spies in verses 8 through 12. But the whole chapter gives us the context and the interpretation for these words that she gives to the spies. So as I read, follow along with me. Joshua 2, starting verse 1. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shutem, as spies, saying, Go, view the land, specifically Jericho. And they went and came to the house of a prostitute, whose name was Rahab, and lodged there. And he was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. The king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who, you, who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the man, I know that the Lord has given you into the land, and the fear of you has fallen upon us, and all inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, 
our hearts melted. And there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you will also deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, Our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she led them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall, so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, go into the hills or the pursuers will encounter you and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward, you may go your way. The men said to her, we will be guiltless with respect to this oath of ours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us know, through which you let us down. And you shall gather into your house, your father and mother, your brothers and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is in, with you in your house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away. And they departed, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. They departed and went into the hills and remained there three days until the pursuers returned. And the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. Then the two men returned. They came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun. And they told him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, truly, the Lord has given all the land into our hands. And also all inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful for your word. And I ask you to give us ears to hear your word being preached. That you may make us hearts confess that you are God, that you are good, and that you have saved us. And that we may also go out and act on such confession. It is in your name that we pray. Amen. Well, this is the second Sunday of the year, so yet another year starts off. And I don't know if you no noticed, but it's been pretty schizophrenic when it comes to weather. It's cold, warm, hot. It doesn't, you never know what's going to happen here in North Carolina. So we broke the year in 70 degrees. We woke up in the other morning, it was 27. It was pretty crazy. Got to love it living here, right? But I don't know if you know, I'm from Brazil, and there it's a tropical country. And in the New Year's Day, we go to the beach to celebrate. And I grew up doing that. It's not here, right? You don't go to the beach because it's cold. But there, where I'm from in Rio, we go to the beach on New Year's Day and watch what is considered the greatest fireworks show in the history of humanity. It makes 4th of July look like a four-year-old blowing out candles in a birthday cake. There are over 10 floating stations spread at the beach. And on those stations, there are over 20 tons of fireworks. And during 15 minutes or more, those fireworks just explode in the air, making the dark sky look like it's daylight. 
and 2.5 million people gather at that beach to watch that show. It's amazing. And I don't say this to demise the 4th of July. I'm just saying this to tell you how wonderful it is the New Year's Day in Copacabana Beach in Rio, Brazil. That's where I grew up. I've been there. I've seen it. So with that information, you may now have heard the facts about this wonderful show. Believe in what I'm saying. And even you can start sharing with friends that it's true. But until you actually go and act on such a belief to Copacabana Beach and watch the New Year's Day and experience it for yourself, you would still consider the 4th of July fireworks shows better than Copacabana Beach, since that's all you experience. So for you, that's better. You may have heard of greater fireworks shows somewhere else. You may even admit that they could be better, they are better, but you never acted on such belief. So there is this little ethical formula that we study that it goes along these lines. So it's a mathematical formula with words. So a confessed belief plus a practiced belief equals your actual belief. Confessed belief plus practiced belief equals actual belief. This means that what you say you believe is only your actual belief if it goes along the side of your practice. Rahab, here in our passage, today, she heard about greater fireworks. She heard that the God of Israel was doing great things in the land. And with that information, she confesses her faith to the spies, believing that Yahweh is God. And then she acts in her faith by protecting the spies, providing escape route, and securing safety for her and her family. Through her confession of faith plus her action of faith, she demonstrates that she actually believed in God. So as we study together today this passage in, in Joshua, we will do so considering three points, three things that Rahab does. First, she hears about God. Second, she confesses faith in God. And thirdly, she acts by faith in God. So let's jump right in. First, Rahab hears about God, and we're going to see that in verse 9 and 10. And I'm going to reread those verses for us so it's fresh in our minds. Verse 9 reads, And she said to the man, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites, who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and to Og, whom you devoted to destruction. It is quite remarkable how much Rahab knows about the history of Israel and the acts of God in the land. Considering that she is an inhabitant of Jericho, and most likely she lived her whole life in that region, below poverty level, having to take the job of a prostitute to provide for herself and for her family, she apparently did not let her circumstances keep her from being diligent in her pursuit of faith. She kept the ear out. She kept paying attention to what was going on. Her attention to details to the journey of the Israelites reinforces this idea. For example, notice how she says, the Lord has given you the land. Given the idea of a finished, completed work that God already conquered the land of Jericho, even though she was still there. 
that if the Lord of these spies is the true God of Israel, that is certain that Jericho would also fall, just like Egypt was not able to withstand the power of God. Notice how she mentions the prophetic song of Moses in Exodus, when she says, the inhabitants of the land have melted away. If you open your Bibles in Exodus 15, 15, you're going to see that this exact word just said, Moses says, now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed, trembling, seizes the leader of Moab, and all the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Rahab clearly knew what she was talking about. She goes on to mention about the drying of the Red Sea and the destruction of the king of Amorites. What Rahab is doing is, is stating that even without being there to witness what God was doing, witness God's power, witnesses have brought the news that there is a God, one true God, and that he is already passing judgment over all the land, rejecting those that do not follow him and accepting those that understand who he is. There are two important observations then that I want to draw from Rahab's hearing about the mighty works of God. First thing is that God is the main character in this story. Even though she's talking directly to the spies, they are but representatives of the true God. God is the main character of, character of the story of the Bible. This is a narrative. When we read narratives, we're always trying to figure out who's the main character. God is the main character of this story. She starts her argumentation with, I know that the Lord has given you. The Lord has given you. The work of salvation and destruction is the Lord's doing. It's not ours. If we take part in it, it's because he has graciously allowed us. We tend to feel discouraged when we continue to faithfully evangelize, disciple, serve, give, and we don't see the immediate results of our actions. We perhaps think the Lord is being slow to bring the results. Or on the contrary, when our evangelism, discipling, and offerings are successful and we see the results, what do we do? We puffed up, pat, our, pat ourselves in the back, and we say, look what I have done for the Lord. And that, brothers and sisters, is when the name of the Lord comes last in our successes and first in our failures. What Rahab is affirming here is that the Lord is first in all successes in the land. Because he already succeeded. She just said that. In the appearance of failures in the Lord's successful judgment. So whenever we see apparent failure in a lost battle, it's actually the Lord preparing to judge that, that people. It is his goodness that he saves and condemns who he chooses. Through the blood of Jesus, we now can recognize that the appearance of failure in our lives is indeed eternal success from our God. A dying savior who apparently failed is actually offering uh, salvation for all of those who believe. That is the first observation that God is the main character about what Rahab heard. The second thing that we can learn from her hearing is that all can and should study all of scripture in detail. Jesus in Matthew 5, 18, he says that until heaven and earth pass away, not a yoda, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. The details matter, not a yoda, not a dot. That's detail reference. Jesus came to fulfill 
all of scripture. Rahab's attention to the details about the story of Israel, which she most likely overheard in conversations and people coming and going from Jericho, she treasured all that up in her heart. That fact that she did that should convict us that we now, in this side of Revelation, with the full Bible translated into our language, we have access to the full scope of the revelation that is given to us in Jesus Christ. We can both read by ourselves and hear being faithfully taught. Why don't we cherish that? Why don't we cherish the details of the Bible? Why don't we understand the promises of the Bible that they are already ours in Christ Jesus? Christ is the culmination of all of scripture. If you haven't heard yet, if you're maybe your first time here this year, we are going through the book of Ephesians with Justin. And he's taking the whole year to teach us six chapters. That is attention to detail. He cares about the detail of scripture. And he knows that all of it is profitable for our good. And we got to hear it. We have to pay attention. We have to understand that it's good. That we can learn and study deeply the truth of God's word into the detail. In every single passage, we see how Christ is exalted over all things. We can hear about God and his word. And through hearing, we can have faith and confess such faith in Christ. That's what Rahab does. She not only hears about God, but she also confesses faith in God. And that's our second point today. Rahab confesses her faith in God. That is verse 11. I'm going to read that for us. Verse 11 in chapter 2. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted away, and there was no spirit left in any man, because you, for the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and in the earth beneath. Every story, when you are listening to a story or watching a movie, every story has a climax. The point which everyone is at the edge of their seats, ready to shout in excitement. Depends what you're doing or what you're watching. It's like when the good guy realizes that he needs to stop fleeing from his own drama, suit up, and go to battle and, and beat the, the bad guy. Or when you're watching a, a game, it's that last field goal that you watch in the last minute that makes your team win by one point. That's the climax of the game. That's when you jump and celebrate. That is also true for biblical stories. So when you re read narratives, look for the climax. Look for that point, the center climax point in the story. Here in the book of, of Joshua, and more specifically in this chapter, the climax is verse 11. Look at, look at that verse with me again, and look what Rahab says. As soon as we've heard it, our hearts melted. There was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heavens above and on earth beneath. Yeah, that, that's when you, yes, she believed in the Lord. That's the climatic passage that you're waiting for to read that a Canaanite woman surrenders and confesses the Lord God Almighty. There it is, Rahab's confession of faith. Such confession was so climatic that the author of Hebrews affirms that by faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient. She joined other climaxes in the history of the Bible. For example, Ruth's confession in Ruth 1.16, after Naomi asking her to leave, she responds with, Your people shall be my people. 
your God shall be my God. Or Naaman's confession in 2 Kings 5.15, after being healed from his disease of leprosy, he realizes and he says, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Or when you read the story of Jonah and you see those sailors struggling with Jonah, what to do with Jonah, and they throw Jonah out of the boat and they see what happens. And the text says that the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered up sacrifices to the Lord and made vows. They covenanted together that they were going to worship the Lord. And we also see the disciples also in a boat, seeing what the Lord had done with the storms. And they confess, you truly are the son of God. And we also have Paul, the great loved apostle Paul, after meeting Jesus resurrected in Acts 9.20, on the road to Damascus, he immediately proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is the son of God. Church, the doctrine of conversion represented here in Rahab's story and all of these other stories is God's salvific act or transforming one's perspective from themselves to God. It is a divine melting of one's heart, emptying of their spirit and filling that up, making it new for the Lord, filling it up with the spirit of the Lord. What they all have in common is that it's always after God aspect, after God does something. God is the agent of conversion. He makes one recognize that their identity, their community, their desires, their bodies, their minds, their strengths are not means for ourselves, for our self-fulfillment, but for his exaltation, for his glory. Such recognition will never, ever remain hidden. No one that is ever caused to be born again will hide away their faith. They won't put their lamp under the bed. It ultimately leads them to confess that Christ is Lord verbally and practically. It's an outburst of joy. It's the climatic, the climax point of their life. It's beautiful. For some of us here, such climax has already happened. We have placed our faith in Christ's finished work on the cross, repented from our sins, believing in him for forgiveness and justification. We are still now, though, living the consequences of that excitement, excitement, being constantly reminding that his saving work is effective now. So the climax of Christianity never dies. Never is going, it's never going to die down. The, field, the final field goal, the final excitement for the Christian renews every morning. Every time you wake up, there's a new field goal. There's a new reason to be excited. His conquering over our sin is past, present, and future. But for others here, this climax of confessing God may not have happened yet. may happen today, maybe tomorrow, or may not even happen at all. I hope and pray that for you, today is that day. According to Romans 10, 17, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Like Rahab, you're now hearing the story of God, the main character. He sends his only son to be left outside of the doors of safety. He sent his only son to take the punishment that we deserved as he conquers the land. Like Rahab, you may already know the stories about this God. You may have already known what, everything that he did that could be used to save you and for you to join his people. 
You already know that the church has never lost a battle, even in the appearance of defeat. But knowledge is not enough. You must confess. You must repent. You must believe. You must call upon the name of the Lord and be saved, just like all the stories that we just mentioned. So confess Christ today. I pray that you may let the Holy Spirit of God draw you to himself, trusting that he is faithful and just to forgive you and make you anew. The Bible is clear, brothers and sisters, that the verbal confession of our faith is but one of the evidences. It's a type of evidence of saving faith. It is usually the first, but not necessarily the first. In Rahab's case, if you pay attention to the story, she was already acting in her faith by hiding the spies, even before publicly confessing her faith. So we see that Rahab not only confesses her faith in God, but she also acts by faith in God. And that leads us to our third and final point for this morning. Rahab acts by faith in God. So differently than the climax that we can pinpoint in a story and say, oh, this is the climax. This is the climax. Usually all the acts of heroic things in a movie, it's throughout the movie. You see them in the beginning, the middle, and the end. And here too, the story is linear and tells us actions, dialogues, and consequences of actions. So just as I mentioned, she starts acting upon her believing faith by even receiving the spies in her place of lodging. She secures their safety by giving them shelter, by distracting the guards from finding them, by providing a strategy of escape, since she knew what the guards would do. She was a local. She also acts on her faith by bargaining with the spies for the safety of her family and her friends. She accepts the conditions that the spies impose to protect her own family and to trust in the word of those sent by God. So in the context of the book of Joshua, where we see a lot of wars, a lot of battle. So it's almost like if you put a background noise to read the book of Joshua, you should put like a battlefield because that's the context of the book. There's a lot of battle, a lot of conquering going on. Rahab here in this story, believe it or not, she is the Canaanite traitor. She is the crooked soldier who hands their own people to the slaughter. In our contemporary sense, in this peaceful world that we live in, we tend to look at texts like this, old texts in the Old Testament, and we, ha we feel sorry for Jericho. Poor them. How could a good God destroy a whole city? They're innocent. They didn't do anything wrong. But what we fail to understand is that even the fact that the spies are accepting to bargain with Rahab should be considered an abomination in God's sight. God commands the people of Israel in Deuteronomy 20, 16 through 17, saying, But in the cities of these people that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance, you shall save alive nothing that breathes. You shall devout, devout them to complete destruction. The Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, and the Parasites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites as the Lord your God has commanded. Rahab, the Canaanite, she should not be spared according to this command. Rahab, however, in the eyes of the Lord, she was no longer a Canaanite. 
She was no longer pledging allegiance to Jericho. She was a traitor. <laughs> she understood that by hiding those spies, she was now part of their army. Notice that the destruction by war in the Old Testament is God's good judgment, justice. And the salvation of those who turn to God is evidence that he's merciful, that he's willing to save and accept those who trust in him. We were once all against this God. We were once in rebellion against God. But when he saves us through Christ, we become traitors of our past allegiance. We're no longer bonded with them, but we're bonded with God. We are now ambassadors of Christ. We are in his army. With that said, I want to look at Rahab's actions then of faith. Actually, actions of treason towards Canaan. And give us at least three lessons as we seek to understand how we should act on faith following Rahab's example. The first thing that she does is she protects the sent ones. Rahab did not shake at the first opportunity that she had to be with God's people and protect them. Even though she had a bright mind and knew much about God's work in the land, she did not have the people of God with her. She was longing for it. She was alone. She had already a converted heart, but there was nobody to share that fellowship with. Longing for instruction, for direction, for orientation from God. When those spies showed up at her door, that was the answer she needed. Having betrayed Jericho in her heart already and aligned herself with God of Israel, she was now acting to protect those that came from God. Many churches in our time today go through phases where faithful teaching, where direction, where pastoring is lacking. It's not there. They're sheep without a shepherd. Like Rahab, they have saving faith, but they have no one to instruct them, to guide them, to lead them. And I know many here have been through this in the past. And how wonderful was the Lord to answer your prayers and to unite this body under the faithful teaching of God's word. So church, cherish, cherish what you have in the Lord. Cherish those who the Lord sent to serve you, to instruct you, to guide you. Forgive them when they fail. Encourage them when they need encouragement. Protect them amongst those who want to bring them down. Because there's a lot of those who want to bring our pastors down. The Lord has made you a traitor of sin and a soldier for his church. It is our duty as members of God's word, uh, member of God's body, as members of Redemption Church, to preserve the leadership of the church. It is not their duty only to protect us, but it's also our duty to protect them. The second thing that Rahab does is she bargains for the kingdom. I see Rahab bargaining with his spies, not to spare only her life, but also those of her family and their friends, those that belong to them. What stands out is that in Rahab's confession of faith, if you read through that again, you're going to see that she uses the pronoun we and not I. There is some debate if this we is a continuing of the narration of the previous judgment of God to the entire land, or if it's a transitional marker about the salvation of Rahab and her family. The fate of her household, so it's contextually pertinent to believe that this we is talking about her family and not the land. 
we see that in Joshua 6, later on, they are actually spared. We see that the spies keep their word and her family is spared. Therefore, as we just learned, since the Bible does not contradict itself, and God would not have spared those who were not in his fold, it's very prudent for us to interpret that the pluralistic aspect of her confession is evangelistic in heart and discipling in practice. Rahab was by faith drawing her family and friends to the same saving faith that she had in God and also pushing them in obedience of those spies, of the sent ones from God. In the safety, for example, in our own warm, friendly, beautiful-looking churches that we have here in Wilson, North Carolina, we tend to focus on selfish requests to our God. What this passage teaches us today is that upon the certainty of God's judgment, we ought to be alert and ready to bargain for people's souls and for the strengthening of the faith of those who are already in our midst. We are to do everything we can. Learn as much from God's word as you can. Get counsel from pastors, from Christian counselors, from brothers and sisters in the church. Because we have this reason, this bargaining reason to expand the kingdom, both in number and in holiness. Do not seek it elsewhere. It's right here. Don't go seeking out there in culture, in sources that are broken, that do not have Christ as the priority, that do not have repentance as the means. Seek right here. How much time have you spent this week praying for the salvation of friends and family? How much time have you sought wisdom and guidance in learning how to better defend your faith amongst those that are unsaved? Or how much time have you spent with other believing people? other members of Redemption Church, learning from God's word, growing together beside Sunday morning. Would you join me by faith in begging the Lord today to embolden us, to help us bargain to do such a task of evangelism and discipling. And the third thing that we learned, we first learned that she protected the ones who were sent she also bargained for the kingdom. And the, the last thing that we see her doing is she obeys the conditions that the spies gave her. The spies, to agree with the bargain that she just did, hey, I, I, wanna, I don't want to save only myself. I want to save my family. So let's, let's cut a deal here, right? So in order for them to accept, they gave her three conditions. So pay attention to these three conditions and see if something pops in your mind. The first condition is hang the red cord as a visual sign that this house is yours. The second condition that they gave is, you and all that you want to spare must remain inside the house with the sign. The third condition that, she gives, that they give is, disagreement must not reach the enemies. The enemies, they cannot be part of it. That was the deal. If any of these were to be broken, it would reveal that she was not all in, that her confession, that her words were false in her heart. But on the other hand, if she obeyed the conditions and followed the plan laid out by the spies, her work would be counted as valid and would confirm her confession. We know how this movie ends, right? We have the whole revelation of the Bible. We have James. We read James this morning. 
And James gives us the review of Rahab's performance. He gives us the five-star review for Rahab as the playmaker here. James, in James 2.25, he says, In the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by an, another way? She was justified for salvation by her, by her confession, and she, was and she was justifying her confession by her works. So she was, she was justified by faith in God, and she was also justifying her confession by her works. Her obedience demonstrated that her confession, that her salvation were genuine. Otherwise, she would be destroyed together with all of Jericho. And I don't know if you noticed, but there is a parallelism between these conditions laid out by the spies and the conditions that we see in the Passover episode in Moses' story on the 10th plague. Both stories, we have a sign. Both stories, we have the congregating. And in both stories, we have the exclusivity. If you are a covenant member of Redemption Church, you have confessed together with the whole body in our confession of faith. Now we have this directory here, and the confession of faith is here right in front of you. If you keep this in your Bible every day, you can read it and remember it and say it again and say in your prayers and say with one another when you're together. But you have covenant together with the whole body that we have the sign of the cross as means of our salvation. In our confession of faith, we say that we have been brought by divine grace to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and to give up ourselves to him. That is our sign, the blood of Jesus poured over us. And in a couple of moments, we're going to partake in that, that demand, that ordinance that he gives us. Remember the sign. We also have covenant together not to forsake the congregating, the assembling of ourselves, nor, nor to neglect to pray for one another and for ourselves. We meet. For those of you that are watching online, I know that you might be sick. I know there is a one moment that you wish you were here, but there's not such a thing as a virtual only church. We meet. We have to be together. You cannot do church online. You can maybe one day if you're sick or a couple of weeks if you're traveling, but you have to long to be with the body. We have to be here. It is congregational. We have to be together. That is one of the demands of the spies. But we also have covenant together to keep our bonds exclusive for believers. And that, I believe, is the point that we find it so hard. But what about other people? What about those that we're trying to evangelize? Keep doing that. Keep evangelizing, keep praying for them, keep sharing, keep bringing them in. But when it comes to the covenant, to the breaking of the bread, to the looking up to the sign, that is exclusive. And that's what the spies say. Don't share with the enemy. When we let the enemy commune in our midst, it will be like that false brother that Paul in 1 Timothy 6 warns Timothy against. When he says he, the false brother, has unhealthy cravings for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived from truth. 
Imagining that godliness is means of gain. So they're here for themselves and not for the good of others, not for the worship of Christ. Unrepentant sin is poisonous for the body of Christ, and it does not belong in the body of Christ. That's why we believe in discipline, church discipline. In understanding the acts of faith of one another, seeing the acts of faith of one another to confirm that we belong to this body. Well, you may never have the chance to experience the Copacabana Beach New Year's fireworks show. And if you don't, I'm sorry. Fourth of July is all you got. That's, <laughs> that's the show that you're going to have to celebrate. But if you have heard the truth of God's word, believed in repentance, confessed it as true, called upon the name of the Lord, the God of Israel, Jesus Christ, the God of Israel, and the evidences, and you evidence such faith through acts of faith, you have already experienced the most glorious reality that any person can ever experience, the glory of God. But if you have not yet done so, and if you're not part of this exclusive body of those being saved by Christ and not destroyed, do so today. I plead to you, do so today. You have already heard about God. All you have to do now is like Rahab, you have to confess your faith in God and you have to start acting by faith in God. And brother, you are without excuse. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, your word is true and your word is effective. Like a double-edged sword, it cuts the bone, it cuts to the heart, and it convicts us of sin. So for those of us that are already in Christ, convict us of what your word is convicting us, that we may protect our leaders, that we may go and be bold in bargaining for souls and building one another up in the truth of the word. And for those of us that have not yet put our faith in you, that today may be the day of salvation. That these people that heard, either online or here, that they heard the word of God preached, that they heard that the only way to be saved is through Christ. They may put their faith in Christ today and do not delay. And we trust in your sovereignty that all of the ones that you want to save are going to be saved. In your name we pray. Amen.